Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. This is season four of the 100 Masked Men series where I anonymously interview different types of men on dealing with relationships in today's modern world. Continuing with this week's theme on communication, Masked Man number 91 is the green flag. This young man shares his story reflecting on his last relationship and how his actions or lack of actions led to their separation. I appreciate this conversation because we go into how much we hurt others when we don't clearly communicate. In this episode, we talk about how we might default to let men lead in a relationship. But then when does the woman ever get a chance to practice being in the driver's seat? It made us question why we default in general and the criteria we use to choose who should be in the lead. And a lot of it is based on personality. So let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the show. I started making TikTok videos because I have a lot of female friends and I would always give them dating advice. And it seemed to me like they never really knew what the signals were that would essentially let them know that they're being led on by a guy or being played by a guy. And I started making these videos just to kind of help women out who are looking for that information. It's actually really funny. At the time that I started making the TikTok videos, my coworker, she was uh, dating a guy in his 40s and she was telling me about him and I started to tell her I'm like I don't think this guy is serious about you but I didn't know how to exactly come out and tell her that directly I would like drop hints here and there and this is like right at the start of me making TikTok videos I was almost using that as like her situation as kind of like content because I knew she was following me (laughs) okay so it actually really helped it helped her situation in the end so like by the end of the relationship she found a way to kind of catch him in the act of talking to other women and he basically told someone else that he didn't want to be with her romantically it helped me like understand like just how important it was for other people to know that information so then I just kept posting after that okay so is there any pushback from other men that are like, oh, no, you're giving away our secrets, like you're ruining the game for us? Do you get any hate for that? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I think the biggest one that I get in my comments is they'll either say that, like, I'm being like a simp <laughs> or they'll say that women prefer the bad type of guys. So like when I do like the red flag videos or I'll do like green flag videos or anything like that. I always look in the comments and there are guys who say, oh, but women like this type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that they confuse women are attracted to confidence in a guy. When it comes to men who are using women, they tend to have a lot of confidence. Whereas uh, a lot of men who are a little bit on the, like the nice guy types, they don't have that confidence that helps them get the woman that they're wanting. And so they, I tend to get a lot of comments like that, like, oh, but women like this. And I'm like, no, they don't. They like confidence is what they're attracted to. They want you to take initiative, make, make moves and things like that. I'm like, these guys who are in it because they want to use those women are doing those things, which is why they're accelerating so much faster. That's like the biggest one I get is that they think that they should be that bad guy. And so it upsets them when I make these videos informing women of like what those bad qualities are. So what's the difference between confidence as that expression versus bad guy behavior? Like if someone goes and approaches a woman, how can you tell the difference between someone that's just actually confident versus someone that's like trying to act like an asshole or something to 
maybe diminish her self-esteem so that he can maintain control and then it appears that he's confident. Mm-hmm. Something that I think is a good indicator is just how progressing the relationship. Someone who's confident, I would say a confident but a good person, it's going to reflect in their actions. So a lot of the things that they do are going to come across as having a good character, whereas a guy who is in it for the wrong reasons, he's going to try to push the relationship to be more physical right from the start. So because that's what his end goal is. So he's angling the relationship or the trajectory of the relationship in a way that's going to lead to him being able to use the woman, whereas the guy who is confident but is a good person or has good intentions, he's going to angle it more towards a committed relationship. So like, it's kind of like the trajectory of the relationship. If it starts to become more physical earlier on and like more physical, but like no commitment, then that's when like, I would say that confidence is leading to a bad place. But if the trajectory is, and it could be physical too, that you know with good intentions, but it's ultimately gonna be angled towards that committed relationship at the end. I mean, this sounds like it's kind of early days in dating that maybe this person doesn't have the right intentions and is like pretending to have the right intentions so that they can get physically intimate with you. But what about if you're in a long-term relationship with someone are those qualities still there? Because do they still care about that physical need on an ongoing basis if you're already in a long-term relationship and you're kind of like having sex regularly? If um, once they're in the relationship, if, if the physical intimacy is still the important part of the relationship? As a way to control, yeah. Like if it's, is it always about that physical intimacy as like leverage? I wouldn't say necessarily for leverage, but it's almost like they want to it's like some guys, um, they get into like these long-term relationships and they'll become like cheaters or abusive or manipulative and their intent is still bad. What they'll do is they'll use that person for like their own nefarious purposes. So like if, if they feel like they can still get with this person, they'll continue to stay in this relationship while they're doing other things and almost keep that person tied down so that they can be there when they need them while they offer nothing of themselves to that person so it's almost like the physical intimacy is it's like something that they use for their own gain or their own pleasure Mm. and then they go off with the other person in a lot of ways it can be kind of possessive too where the bad guy will keep a woman in a relationship and he'll become very possessive of her and think like oh this person is is mine but he doesn't necessarily have like a the proper emotions for that person. And those are typically your narcissistic types, but they end up in those relationships and become very possessive of the person that they're with, but also treats them very badly. Do you think that these guys know that that's what they're doing for the most part? Like if you're talking about your colleague that she was really into this guy and he was acting shady in all these ways, how much of it was purposeful versus how much was it just like him not knowing what he's doing and just following a script? I think it was 100% purposeful. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes. With guys, they, since they have to work towards that physical intimacy, they have to put in so much work to get it. They spend their entire lives figuring out ways to manipulate women, essentially, into getting to that position. A really good example of this is when I was a teenager, uh, one of my guy friends, he taught me a trick where he said, take a blanket and put it in your living room on the couch, fold it up neatly in the corner. And he said, when you're watching a movie or you're hanging out with someone, they will eventually 
go to that blanket and put it on. And he said, that's going to be your opening to get under the blanket with her to get her to that point. But it's like the amount of thought that he put into that was like ridiculous. I was like, you know, I was like, how did you even come up with that? And then the one time I did try it, it did escalate in the way that he predicted it would. Uh, mm-hmm. In the situation with my coworker, he was almost hiding her in a sense uh, from his uh, personal life. And when I told her, hey, I was like, I think this guy, I was basically telling her that the committed relationship component of it, like he was saying, oh, I'm not ready for a committed relationship, but they had already been talking for months. And so I was like, you know, to be this far in, I was like, and to have no kind of commitment from this person, I was like, this seems a little bit, you know, strange to me. And this guy had kids and he didn't introduce her to his children. I told her, I said, I think this is intentional that he doesn't want you to meet his children because he doesn't want to be with you. And I think the way that she caught him was, uh, or the way that I know she caught him is she made a fake profile and she went on a dating app and she found him and she angled the conversation in a way where she was able to bring up herself. And she asked him, Hey, are you talking to anyone? And he said, yeah, I am talking to someone, but we're more friends with benefits. I don't think I'll ever have those romantic feelings towards her. And so then she messaged him from her real account, letting him know that, hey, I caught you. And then he just blocked her, which let me know that from the beginning, it was very intentional that he didn't want that committed relationship with her, but he was leading her on, telling her that he wasn't ready for this relationship while using her physical body for his own pleasure. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in a guy's defense, right? I don't know if you hear this often when they're just like, well, I told her that I wasn't ready for a relationship. So she can't be expecting that we're going to go into a relationship. So everything that she's accepting is in her own decision. It's not like he's forcing her to yada, yada, yada. Right. So, I mean, is that the common mentality? Is that actually something that they believe? Or do you believe that they're just creating that as an excuse to not be transparent about their true intentions? I think it's a little bit of both. So I do think that when they're telling someone this, they know that if they tell someone the truth and they say, hey, I never want to be with you, that that person will go away. That person will, might be hurt or they might say, you know what, I don't want to be a part of this if it's not going to lead to something eventually. And so they'll tell the person that, hey, like, I don't necessarily want this commitment right now to kind of keep the person thinking that it may happen in the future. And then if they ever do need to cut that person off, then they can say, oh, I warned them, even though they knew that from the beginning, that was never their intent. And I feel like from the from the female perspective, I think that you are correct in the sense that it's like, you know, they tell this person this and in their mind, it's kind of like, I think that from the female perspective, they're hoping and like keeping their hopes up that it'll eventually turn into a committed relationship. And so they kind of keep themselves in this relationship thinking that it'll eventually become something, even though the guy already knows from the beginning that he doesn't want that to ever happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hate that. It's like, you want to keep people, this other guy in one of my episodes called it a back burner. So there's like people in the front burner and then the back burner that you're just like keeping warm while you consider other options so that you're never truly alone. Like, why do you think guys do this? Is it, is it to not be alone? I believe so. I think that a lot of men, since they crave that physical 
contact so much. They always keep someone there that they can get that physical contact from until they're able to get with the person that they actually want to be with. They'll always be talking to someone or if they don't have someone that they're keeping, they'll continuously be reaching out to different people to get that. So it'll almost be like they're constantly looking mm-hmm. for someone else that they can get that physical contact from. It's kind of funny. There's um, <laughs> like if you like on Facebook, when like women are like social media, they're getting all these messages from men who are like, hey, hi, hi. Mm-hmm. A lot of those men are, uh, <laughs> they're like, I almost call it social media phishing. It's like they're sending out all of these messages to multiple women and whoever responds, they'll start to entertain that person to get that physical contact from them. And there, there are men in there with genuine intention, but they get kind of mixed in with this soup of people who are more looking for someone they can get that physical contact from. So if it matters so much to have physical contact, and I remember I used to think that that was across the board, what you were supposed to do, I guess, in your 20s, like explore and experiment with people and like have a roster of people as like a way to keep leverage or just to stay on top of the game, whatever you want to call it. And if you're saying this is a tactic to whatever, to stay secure while you entertain the potential of someone else, do you think that you would actually be able to find that other person and give them exactly what you want out of that relationship if you're so used to this like security blanket of all of this random physical contact with these people that don't matter to you? Like, are you going to be able to have space to do that? I think it really depends on the maturity of the guy for this one. Like for a lot of men, they have like the one that they want to be with, but they know that they want to be with this specific person. So if they have like a specific person that they have in mind, like I want her, then like they're going to be able to cut everyone else off to be with that person. But if they're still in the process of looking for what their like perfect ideal woman would be, then they are most likely going to just overlook her because of all the other options that are available. So it really depends on like whether or not the guy already knows the woman that he wants to be with or knows the type of woman that he wants to be with. But if he's still trying to assess what the perfect woman is or is still confused about it, he'll most likely overlook her because he'll find, he'll just keep finding someone that has like plus one on the person that would be the ideal girl for him, for ideal woman. Do you have an ideal woman? Uh, my ideal, because <laughs> <laughs> I have like, for me, what I look for is like, um, I look for someone like with a lot of maturity, like someone who has the same type of mentality as me. And it's for a lot of reasons. Like I always think to myself that like someone who is wise but still like funny and has like more of an adventurous type of personality. So someone you can have fun with, but also have those meaningful conversations and you can trust them to like, if you were to have kids with a woman that you can trust that if something were to ever happen to you, that those kids would be in the hands of someone who has the wisdom to still teach them all of the proper values. And so that's kind of what I look for. Like someone who's fun, but can still be, have those meaningful conversations and discussions especially like when it comes to family, like one thing I always think about is I was raised in a household with a very, very mature, very mature parents. They, they had a lot of wisdom. And so for me, I always think like if someone is able to get along with my parents, that would mean a lot to me because if I were to ever knock on wood, if anything were to ever happen to me, 
I would want to make sure that the relationship that they had with my parents still was there. That way the kid would grow up and they would still have love coming in from both sides of the family. If they weren't close to my side of the family or they didn't never care to build those bonds, my kids would grow up and they wouldn't have access to that side of the family. It would almost be like they would never know their other half. So for me, it just comes with the, I just look for someone that has a lot of maturity and depth of character. Uh, so that's really what I look for. And that's why I, I've met some people like that, but the type, those types are usually in long-term relationships. So you have to kind of catch them at these like really um, specific moments where they're actually single. <laughs> really? Why do you think yeah, they're already in relationships? Really, I think they're already in relationships because, because of how valued that is. And they have the wisdom to, I would say, pick the right partner. But also when they're in that relationship, they know how to, they almost know how to keep maintenance of that relationship. So they know how to have those conversations that, that need to be had. Um, they know how to take care of their partner or, you know, provide that reciprocal relationship. They have like so much wisdom that it's almost like when they're dating someone, the other person is being, it's like the relationship is secure and it would only take for the other person to make a mistake like cheating or anything like that for the relationship to actually end. And so they end up in these really, really long-term relationships with people because they're so valued and so rare. And I think, I wouldn't say that it's rare in women, but I think that's even a rare quality in men to have both of those components. Really? I think, I mean, I think that's what everyone strives for, you know, that maturity and, and nurturing behavior. And that comes with someone that's just focused on themselves enough mm -hmm. to heal themselves, right? And if they're already in a relationship, most likely they grew up in a household where they were already in a secure attachment style. So they didn't have to go through it. And I think the problem is a lot of us have childhood trauma with love so and affection, true. right? So I think, unfortunately, we just keep hitting each other's like pain points in those vulnerabilities and insecurities that come up from relationships. But yeah, like I would say there's a lot of, a lot of people in that department. And it's funny because everyone that I ask, like, what's your ideal type of partner? It's always the same stuff. It's always like, you know, someone that can communicate with you, someone that has good chemistry with you, like someone that's just a general good person. Cause you're never going to be like, oh, I want someone that sucks. That's like total trash that like doesn't shop for her. You know, like you're not going to say these, these things <laughs> in your ideal. Right. So if everyone is searching for the same stuff and everyone's working towards being that same stuff, like, why do you think we're not getting there? Well, that's a good question. I think that a lot of people too, like kind of you said, this is more someone who's kind of focused on themselves. I feel like a lot of dating is like proximity to how often you're coming in contact with these people. And so if someone is like more focused on themselves, they'll probably be like out of the scene a little bit. So like the people that you're seeing regularly, like whether you like if you go to a bar or you're going out to party or like major events, you might not see these people there all the time. And they, I feel like they tend to be the people who you would meet on accident, like somewhere like you just randomly bump into them or they're your coworker or they're your classmate. But like if you go into like major social settings, you might not see these people right away just because they're so focused on themselves. They're usually off managing like a career or going to the gym or they're doing something that's like a little more I would say self-reliant on like where they have the they're so centered that they don't necessarily care to be in like a lot of social settings and so I think that might be what it is too is just like how often they're actually 
engaging with those people, whereas people who tend to be a little more, uh, <laughs> I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't say like this is an absolute statement, but I think that you, you can, when you're out a little bit more, depending on the type of setting that you're in, you're kind of meeting like the same type of people. So like if you're like going to a bar, like, you know, there's like certain types of people that regularly go to bars and like every now and then you'll have someone with a different personality that'll come in. But depending on where someone is investing their time and looking for a partner, there's almost like a specific type of person that'll be in that space. Mm, okay. Yes. Well, where are the typical places for someone your age to go and find people? Because I mean, like if we take away online apps, where would you say is like the, the hot spot that people still go to? I don't know anymore because I don't think it's bars anymore since the lockdown happened and now everything's at half mm-hmm. capacity, right? So it's kind of like a different space now. And I think you might actually be able to find people closer to what you want if you choose the right environment. Yes, I actually I actually agree <laughs> with this so much. I live in a COVID hotspot. It's weird. It's like they're still, <laughs> they still have the bars and clubs open here. I think they're like recently, like now with the Delta variant, they're closing down a little bit more, but, but they're still like doing like max capacity. And um, at one point when everything was shut down, I actually did feel like using the dating apps, I was able to connect with people who were uh, more like-minded. Like there was a, it almost felt like since everyone was at home, they almost turned to social media as a way to uh, pick up the slack in that department of like social interaction. So everyone was like scrolling through social media a lot more, or they were more willing to engage with people on there. And then once uh, the lockdown restrictions where I live were like lifted, and then they, they went to half capacity and then back to full capacity. It was like all of those people on those dating apps were like gone. Like he was like, I was no longer able to get that same type of conversation out of those people. Interesting. Yeah, I guess there was a time that like all of those people that normally would find people organically had a moment to, to be online because that was where everyone was. I still fight that now because I'm not on any dating apps, but I feel like I should be just because that's where everyone is. But I still believe that, like you said earlier, I mean, even if they're not at the typical places, like they still have to go out. They still have to go out and get groceries Mm -hmm. and like you will bump into them. But I find that the more intentional you are about where you go, the more you'll find the people that are closer to you. So like I'm in Mexico right now, so I try not to go to like a beach bar or an all-inclusive or like a rooftop because I know the type of people that I'm going to see there. So I always go to like small local cafes, you know, that if someone Mm -hmm. spent the time to look for a local spot, you know, that's like off the beaten path, then I'm more likely to to come across someone that has at least a similar idea of, of what matters to them. Yes, that's so true. And I think that's why school is one of those places where you would meet someone that uh, school or work are one of those places that you would meet someone that's like closer to your um, ideal personality depending on the job <laughs> like mm-hmm. where I work it's a lot of people who are like I'm like when I started I was one of the youngest people I worked for a bank like in an office and uh <laughs> I started working there when I was the day I turned 22 or the day after so I like just turned 22 and then I there I was the youngest person there so it was a little hard for me to meet people like um that were like potential dating partners because everyone was already married or they had children and they were like there were very few people in their 20s, but even more like 40s, 50s. But for someone who's like on a certain career path, 
they'd be more likely to meet someone that has similar characteristics as them because they have a similar interest in career. So they would have like the same, I would say generally like the same type of, I wouldn't say background is like, like demographically, but they would have like some of the same interests and some of the same uh, things that they could relate on. And so like school being one of those things, like if you had like a, a certain major that you were studying, if you were in some, into something like philosophy, you know, you would come across someone that's able to have those like conversations about philosophy or different types of things that require deeper thinking. I think that's one of the reasons why I feel like school and school and work and why I say you meet them accidentally because it's like you almost can't plan for it, but like eventually there will be that person that you like go to school with or you take a certain job and then you meet someone that's like, oh wow, like this person has a lot of the same characteristics that I'm looking for. And part of that is you're in a place where someone is going to be similar to you in some way. Do you think that it's better to have those similar qualities or would you consider someone that's like totally opposite that doesn't have any similar interests as you? I think it depends on the characteristics that someone has. Like someone that's like um, <laughs> my way or the highway type, I think that they would probably want to be with someone that's a little bit more um, go with the flow because if they're both uh, my way or the highway types that can, can like kind of create this like collision or like a lot of um a lot of altercation when they disagree on something. Whereas like there's two people that go with the flow, they might be a better match if they have the same characteristics because they would be able to, you know, they wouldn't necessarily care to fight each other on what was going on. They, it might be hard for them to like make decisions on things, <laughs> but mm -hmm. like overall though, like that chemistry of like both people just kind of allowing the other person the space to, put in their ideas and those type of scenarios that would work but two people who have very strong personalities and are a little more argumentative or aren't able to collaborate with other people I feel like that might create a lot of collision between those personality types so how did you get into talking about relationships so much like are you in a lot of relationships or do you hear a lot of stories like how did you get into this I would say like what got my interest in it was I would just always uh, self-reflect and I had like a lot of introspection. So I would get into a lot of, um, I wouldn't say relationships, but like where you kind of have like a thing with someone and whenever it would end, I would always reflect on what I might've done wrong. And then just like kind of look at the, what their motives were as well. So I like, I would spend a lot of time just like thinking about it and then realizing like, oh, okay, these are the key components that were successful or caused like this uh, decline in interest between me and this person. And so I would like just like spend so much time thinking about it. And then I went through a phase where I was really, really, um, I was like single for like a really long time. And so I started to look into like, um, I started to like uh, self-improve and I came across something about reading people's body language. And I got really interested in that. I said, that would be such a useful ability to have to be able to understand body language. So I started to get into like, psychology like rabbit hole and just like looking at like a bunch of different things watching a lot of videos I read some books about like narcissism and like just to like different like like confidence uh, boosters type of books and what I was finding over and over again was just like some of the components that I was reflecting on in myself were in those books and so I was like oh interesting I said so this is something that you know they talk about kind of like that confidence thing like where it's like women are more attracted to confidence than they are necessarily like those bad guy traits. Like that was like one of the things that I would like read a lot. 
And so then I started to get like more and more into it. And the more I thought about it, like <laughs> the more I just like kept going like deeper and deeper into it. And eventually I started to talk about it with people more and more or be able to like when people do talk to me about their relationships, being able to recognize like what was going on in their situation. And so then I would like talk to people about that. And eventually it just turned into me like saying, oh, I should just like start making videos instead of, you know, just talking to people about it one-on-one. Yeah. Like reflection is such a huge factor of growth. And I think you're one of the anomalies of men that take that time to reflect on what happened after a relationship. Usually guys just like jump right into a new one to forget about the last one. How come you decided to take that time to, to think about it rather than just jumping into something else and just like not thinking about it? I think for me, it was, um, there was one relationship that I was in for like a, the longest one I had. It ended in like a really abrupt way. Like I had gotten uh, like cheated on. And I remember coming out of that relationship, it was right at the start of college. And when I came into college, I was actually a really popular student. People <laughs> instead of making TikToks, I used to make uh, really funny Snapchat videos. And like when I started college, it became really, really funny to people. And so a lot of people were watching my Snapchats regularly. And I remember like when it was like when like, the news broke, like, oh, he's finally single. A lot of women started to throw themselves at me in a way. And I kind of did the same thing where it was like, you know, you would like get with people to help you forget about this person. And eventually it came to a point where I like thought to myself, this isn't helping me. It was like the more that I tried to be with like the other people, I would realize just how empty it actually was. And so then I started to kind of become more reflective on myself. And like, I couldn't go to any of my guy friends either. The only advice that like I would get from other men were like, oh, like go get with other women. That was like the only thing that they could say. And I was like, well, that's not really helping me. I became very introspective and just kind of thinking to myself, like, how can I get myself out of this hole that I'm in? And I was like, and like, I was almost like really depressed about it. You know, I was like sitting there and I was just thinking to myself over and over and over and just fixated on it. And then eventually I was able to start thinking rationally and and like piecing things together. And then from that moment on, I became very, very reflective after I stopped like uh, talking to different people. I would always like take the time to think about how I could have done better or like what they could have done better. Yeah. I was doing this yoga meditation the other day and I've been struggling about making the right decisions every day. And she said to me, every decision you make is a good decision because you're going to be better for it. If you think of it that way. So rather than like needing everything to be perfect, right. And having super high expectations, like this has to be the one, (laughs) this is the perfect relationship. I've got to make it happen. Or, you know, beating yourself up for whatever reason, it's kind of like choosing anything is always going to be the right path because it's your choice and it's, it's going to, you're going to improve from it in whatever way, if you apply that introspection. So now what did you learn from your past relationship? That big one that you had like patterns, good things, bad things that you learned that you want to pass forward into your new relationships. Into like the new relationships. <laughs> so for me, it was, uh, it, it was a weird dynamic. So in that situation, it was like, when I met this person, they were like, really, I'll say this, like physically, they were really, really attractive, but there was like a lot of things in this person's life that made them feel very, um, like they were low value. So like she would call herself a loser. It was just the way that she would talk about herself was always very low. 
And then she met me and I was someone who had all of this confidence. I was like kind of like a scholar type when she met me. I was like in theater, I, I was talented and I was like a scholar type. So like I had like scholarships that like I already had aligned for college and I was just like my junior year high school. And it was like, there was just so much that I like had that this person did not have. And so she met me, we like had this like kind of connection. And like throughout the relationship, the thing that I think that I could have worked better on was that like, because I had all this like ambition and all these like shows and things that I was doing, like she, she didn't have anything going on. I think that I should have pushed her to be involved in other things and then helped her build her, uh, or like I should have taking the time to go to things for her is what I should is how I should say that so like what she did was she would always come to my things and show up for me and then I was always going to stuff and just not kind of helping her get to the same point that I was at and like eventually like she did start to do her own things but it became sort of like a jealousy or competitive where um she as her confidence kind of boosted she um I remember one day she said to me she said I look up to you but I'm also jealous of you and like, it didn't hit me until after our relationship was over, like what she was really trying to say is that like, I had all of these things and she wanted to be like me so badly that it became her wanting to be better than me. And so like, by the end of the relationship, she basically like her social status increased from dating me. So like more and more people were recognizing her. They're like, who is this beautiful girl that he's dating? And like, that's what I would always tell her. Like, you are mm -hmm. actually the prettiest one of your friend group. And like, not in a bad way, but where her friends would treat her very poorly. And I would always tell her this, like, hey, you're the most attractive one out of the friend group. I hope you do know that. And that's why they treat you like that. And so she eventually, like, I think it reached a point where she almost became very self-absorbed with herself because she didn't know how to manage the popularity that she was receiving. I remember one day she posted on her social media and she got like 400 likes on her selfie on Facebook. Like this is back when like before the influencers and stuff. So this was kind of <laughs> rare. <laughs> and I like, we got in like kind of like an argument because she's she had like, she started acting a little strange. And uh, she told me later, she said that she started to feel like she was better than other people. If I had taken the time to like given her that space to feel like she was important and like show up to her things and like just really be there for her in the same way that she was being there for me. I think that she would have valued that a lot more and that need to be seen by everyone, which is what ultimately led to the end of the relationship is that our interests like split like towards the end of the relationship because she became a little more superficial. And then I was still on this path of more like wholesomeness. And I think that if I had taken the time to show her that wholesome side of things, it would have been successful. Mm. Yeah, I think there's so many layers to that because I mean, listening to that and as a woman, I can see I was definitely that girl at a time where I dated someone that was like, oh my God, why is this guy interested in me? Because I just had like negative zero self-esteem and then slowly learning to navigate around taking leverage of this person I'm dating to build my own popularity so that I can do something with it. And a lot of that is based on how people are looking at you and just how society and the patriarchy is telling how women should act as a way to have this sexual power, which actually doesn't give you any power at the end of the day, but it makes you feel like you have that power because all eyes are on you. Um, 
I think it's challenging because I talk to a lot of guys and they say like, oh, there's this beautiful soul that I met that I'm dating and she just isn't motivated to do anything because she hasn't figured out what she wants to do yet. And here I am grinding and working and whatever. And it's just like, I feel weird because either she wants more attention or she's jealous and kind of acts weird about it or like keeps trying to take me away from my work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I don't think that behavior is going to go away for a while. Like, I think that dynamic is really popular when a guy kind of sees a girl that doesn't know how beautiful she is and like, whatever wants to, to make her bloom and, and, and all of that, which is great in terms of that intention. But then when they're with her, they don't know how to, to uh, help her grow properly. You know, they're not watering her with this, with the right ingredients. So how would you do this in the future? Like if you had the exact same opportunity, you meet this girl, that's kind of not that sure of herself, but you guys have a beautiful connection and like, how would you change it this time? I think if I were to do it this time, I would definitely, instead of making her more like me, I would try to make her more like herself. Because at the end of the day, I feel like even if I built her up, if I built her up to be like me, it's never going to work out in that relationship. And so I think that, or it's never going to work out for her, honestly, because it'll, it'll, what it'll do is it'll make her like almost like a past situation where this person had no interest in being, you know, seen or anything. And then by the end of the relationship, it became very competitive. And so I think that to prevent that sort of like envy or jealousy, you would make them feel more centered with themselves. So at the end of the day, I think that having that confidence is all about being true to who you are at your core. And so like teaching them to sort of recognize their own values and become more solidified in their own self will help them navigate through becoming more of an ambitious person. And so in this case, that's what I would do differently. It's just kind of help them solidify their own values. Do you have like a specific way that you would do that? Because I'm curious, like, I think women are more likely to, to support a man in whatever way, like show up to whatever his things are. And women are more okay with accepting the fact that if the guy's busy, then you know, he doesn't have to show up for this stuff. So the only alternative on my end is if women are more specific about their boundaries and are like, I'm not going to go to your thing unless you come to my thing or whatever the, the compromise is. But that is obviously in a more like aggressive resolution control way. <laughs> so how would you do it in more of a like proactive, encouraging way so that she'll actually come to you and ask you to attend these things. Cause like, this reminds me of one time where I just started my business and I wanted to go to a market. I'm from Toronto, but the market was in Vancouver. And I asked my boyfriend if he'd like to come with me to Vancouver just to sit at the booth and like, help me launch my product. And he was like, why there's nothing to do in Vancouver. And I was like, well, I mean, it's you supporting me. That would be what you're doing in Vancouver. And um, yeah, so he said no. And then secretly I bought a ticket to go to Vancouver and I bought an, another ticket for my my girlfriend to come with me. And, you know, I held the secret from him the whole time because I was like, I should have just walked out of that relationship right then and there from from that kind of rejection of someone just choosing not to support me. And it took me so much courage to even ask him because it was like something that really mattered to me. 
right? So I don't know, like, how would you encourage that so that that she would just willingly tell you instead of like, oh, hey, like, I noticed you're really into cooking. Like, maybe you like take that to a bake sale. You know what I mean? Like, that's, it's different, right? Like, if mm-hmm. the person is already expressive about what they want, but if it's someone that's like, kind of like, doesn't have as much self-esteem or is a bit more shy or like you're just not there yet in the comfort level of your relationship, how would you prompt that? Mm, To me, I I feel like in that type of situation, I would prompt the person to feel seen and to feel heard. I feel like that's what causes a lot of the divide or makes people feel like they aren't important is when their values aren't being recognized or like their voice isn't being heard. To put it in like a more of like a <laughs> like an active sense, I would push someone to make more decisions. So if there's someone who's always relying on me to make the decisions, I would like push for them to be more of more assertive. So like if they say something like, hey, I think this would be something fun to do, like they might deliver that in a very unconfident way, but I would actually do what they ask of me. Hey, I think that would be really fun. Let's go and do that. And the more that you make this person feel like their requests are being heard or that the things they want to do are being like seen and recognized, they're going to eventually feel more comfortable asserting themselves and saying, hey, I want this. And then knowing that, you know, it's going to be respected. And so in that type of situation where, you know, you're wanting this person to go to a show with you, you know, he failed in making sure that you know, you felt recognized and seen for the work that you were putting in. He kind of like left you high and dry, like when you were like looking for that sort of support. And so for me, I feel like that's what like one of the things that I would do differently is when they're making these decisions or asking to do certain things, I would always make sure that they felt supported in the same way that I feel supported when I make decisions. Yeah. You know what that actually reminds me, I have a really cool friend and we lived together for a little bit while we were living in Mexico and we had just one key that we would share in this two bedroom apartment. So she would decide based on who carried the keys is who's leading for where we're going out tonight and announced it and said, okay, so are you leading tonight? And then give me the keys. And I've never had someone state it that way, because that means you're now responsible for getting us from point A to point B. You're responsible for getting us home. You're responsible for the choice of where we're going tonight. You're, you're responsible for the route that we're going to take. And I don't think we say that out loud enough. So if you're just like, if it's just the two of us, you might just default to whoever seems to be the more assertive type. And then the other person never gets that chance. Yes. And that's so true. Like, Mm -hmm. That's actually a really interesting concept too. (laughs) Just like making sure that they understand that like from the beginning, it's like already established that that's what they were going to do. I actually really like that. Yeah, because yeah, like I would always get like, if a guy's like, oh, you choose the restaurant tonight. Like, okay, I get to choose it, but he's still the one that's driving. He's still the one choosing what time we're going, Mm -hmm. all the things. Like at the end of the day, he's still in the driver's seat for, for most of the thing, I don't actually get to have full responsibility of it. So I never experienced that until I I had that with my friend in such a, like, it was almost like preschool, but you know, like it was like, today is your day and you are, <laughs> you are driving this way. And I was like, you're the oh, line leader so today. <laughs> yeah. 
That's funny. I, I really like that component of what you mentioned. It's like, this is one of the reasons why I always say like, um, I push for like my female friends to be more in charge. Like sometimes when I go out with them, I'll even let them drive just because, or take their car, especially if it's someone that like, I'm like just meeting. <laughs> I don't want them to feel uncomfortable where like mm -hmm. I'm driving and they're like, oh, is this guy like a serial killer or something? And so like, I always like, sometimes like if they want to make them feel more comfortable in the beginning of the relationship, I'll let them be the person to drive or let them kind of establish things or where we're meeting and things like that so that they can have that sort of security. But I think it's a, it kind of goes back to like that past relationship. One of the things that I remember her saying when we were, we got into like a, I wouldn't say an argument, but she got really emotional one day and she was crying and she said, when is it my turn to be the star? Because she felt like she was always showing up to my things. And when she wanted to become more like me, if she felt like she wasn't being recognized. And so I think like, um, it kind of goes back to that situation of like, when is it my turn to be that person who gets to be the assertive one, who gets to, to be the one who's seen, recognized, and felt? And mm -hmm. so I think that that is really a really important thing to have is to let someone lead instead of letting always making them follow like what our choices would be. Yeah. And also, I think it's good to realize that the leader doesn't always have to be the assertive type. We're just like defaulting to that person mm -hmm. that's just more outspoken. But then we never think about the quiet person. So by taking turns like that, or like announcing it, I think that really helps the other side, you know, that isn't really confident to, to be like, it's my turn today. <laughs> like anyone that's shy is not never going to say that. Right. So it's kind of like balancing that out because otherwise we always keep it exactly the way that it is. And no one ever gets to grow from that. So true. I'm actually on the other side of that, like in my day-to-day -day life, like I tend to be a little more quiet or like I keep to myself depending on the environment. Like at work, I'm a little more outspoken, but like just like day to day, like I'm like, I tend to keep to myself. I go to the gym. I'm not the type of person that'll like walk up and like start conversations with people unless they come and talk to me. But a lot of times like people will mistake that for like lack of confidence or they'll mistake it for like me not knowing what is like, like what, what decision I'm going to make. And then I come out and I'm very assertive, but I'm just a little more quiet, a little more reserved. And so it kind of goes back to where you're always assume that the most outspoken person is the one who's going to make the best decisions, the one that we should follow. But a lot of times the person who's a little more quiet, they still have a lot of those qualities. They just aren't like outspoken about it. Yeah. And I think people will get really unsettled with calm people. Like if you have a calm energy, it doesn't make any sense. Cause it's like, okay, is this person quiet or bitchy or like super reserved or what? Like it's hard to read. <laughs> so true. Right. Versus someone high energy. You're like, oh, that's the leader immediately. Let's talk to that person. Cause that person's well-spoken and articulate and they're going to say this and that and whatever. And usually those people have no idea what they're doing. They just are high energy people. And we're just attaching different roles to people literally based on personality types, which sucks. Right. Cause it has nothing to do with personality, whether or not you can perform a role. Oh my gosh. Yes. That is so true. That is actually so true. Like people get so uncomfortable with quiet people. They don't know how to engage them. I think, I think in a lot of ways, like you said, they don't know how to read that person because that person keeps so much of their personal interest to themselves. In a lot of ways, it's like, um, and I think that people get uncomfortable with silence too. 
like as a quiet person, if I'm alone with someone, I sometimes I'll actually take the lead just because I know it makes them uncomfortable for me to just be myself and be like that quiet reserve type. I know that they're going to be like, oh, like, what is this guy doing? Like, maybe is he, is he not, does he not like me? Does he, is he mean? Is he like, what's, what's going on in his head? And so sometimes I'll just like get the ball rolling so that they become the talkative ones so that I can kind of go back into being my normal self of just being like a little more like observant than like projecting my thoughts out onto them. You know, I do the opposite whenever it's like a quiet moment, I will stay quiet and wait because I know they're going to say something first. I always debate in my head if this person's going to talk about themselves and like tell me a story or if they're going to ask me a question and they kind of base like whether or not I stick around in this conversation. But <laughs> that's my tactic. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> that's one thing I read about in the self-improvement. Like when I was like doing a lot of self-improvement was uh, like learning, like, uh, to, like asking people about themselves. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so funny. I, I definitely do that. <laughs> I, I would be that person that like, if it like gets really quiet, I'll start asking them like, oh, like just like making up random stuff to like ask them. Sometimes it can feel a little bit too interview-like where I'm like asking them too much. So I have to like throw in those personal like anecdotes, but like, I totally do that. <laughs> Especially mm-hmm. if I, so, okay, sometimes like I try to keep my interests like to myself. And so I won't tell them a lot about who I am and like what I do outside of work or the situation. I'll get them to talk about themselves first so that like I can learn like whether or not our personalities will actually match. Yeah. I know what you mean. I think, um, I don't know. I went on this date, which I haven't been on a date in like forever, but I went on this date and we were supposed to meet at this time. And I said, I'm on my way. And then he said he was going to leave two minutes after. And I show up like five minutes after. And I'm like, I'm, I'm here at this place. And he's like, oh, you're there already. And I was like, well, we said we were going to meet at this time. It's now like 15 past. So I said, um, I don't like your lack of respect for my time. So I'm going to leave because I didn't want to approve of that behavior and be like, this is okay. But then at the same time, I'm like, am I being a total bitch? But like, I don't want to waste my time if I'm already in that mood where it's like, yeah, this person didn't respect my time. Like he's leaving two minutes after me and he's still late. Like figure out your time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, I, I definitely agree with that. Like there's like fashionably late and then there's like disrespectfully late. And I feel like 15 minutes after, and the person hasn't left yet, like 15 minutes after you're already supposed to arrive. I feel like, like you said, that's almost like a red flag. It's like that can, that behavior was only going to escalate from there. And if you had made it okay, then he would have definitely just continued to you know, become more and more comfortable with that behavior. So I, th- I think you definitely made the right decision there. Yeah. So get this. After that, I just left. I went to the beach and just like sat down and started journaling and like whatever. And then he shows up and like the beach is a long place. You can't just find me that quickly. So I don't know how long this guy was walking around to finally find me or if that was just coincidence. So then he found me and he was just like, hey, you know, my bad, I apologize. So I granted him a second chance because he came over, he apologized. He said he didn't think that his walk was going to be as long as it was, blah, blah, blah. And then we sit down 
and we hang out for a couple hours and the entire time, I don't know. I, I felt like I was on trial for him to like redeem himself. Do you know what I mean? So like for that whole date for oh. me was like a wash. Almost like you felt like he was trying to remedy the situation instead of being himself and like enjoying the moment with you. Yeah. So I felt like I knew nothing about him. Like everything we're talking about was super surface level. And then he walked me home. And then I was like, this, this is a huge waste of my time. I should have just like not even, I should have kept with my original decision. And then even if he came and saw me, it would have been like, nope, still not seeing you. Now I've like wasted two hours. And then today, like he sent me another message and I'm like, why? Like, I feel like guys are so hung up about rejection. Like they can't accept someone not liking them. The only way they can accept someone choosing not them is if they're married. You know what I mean? Otherwise, like mm -hmm. there's always a chance. Yeah, that's so true. I feel like, I feel like in that situation too, it goes back to that confidence thing that I was like kind of mentioning like the nice guy types <laughs> kind of like you mentioned instead of being himself he was trying to like save himself from the situation whereas like a confident guy in that situation he would have apologized and then he would have continued to be himself after that so he would have known like once he gave him the second chance he would have been like okay now I'm good to I mean there probably would have been some caution but he would have continued to be himself and he wouldn't have cared about that rejection mm -hmm. and like when it comes to those guys who are like toxic they're almost never afraid to approach women because they conquered that ability of feeling rejected mm -hmm. and so like because as, as, as a guy <laughs> as a guy I can't say we get rejected so much because women have so many guys you know especially where I live like that are constantly talking to them and so like like when you approach a woman you're probably like guy number 10 of the day <laughs> and so it's like we get used to that rejection Whereas like the guys who are like a little more insecure about themselves, they can't handle it. They like get rejected and they almost, like you said, they don't know how to process like, oh my gosh, like I got rejected. Am I, am I unattractive? Does anybody care about me? Whereas like the guy who gets a lot of women or has a woman already, you know, he might get rejected and he'll say, oh, well, I just got rejected this time. I won't let that affect me. I'll go on to the next person. Yeah, I guess so. And I think what's crazy is like, even though I had like, not a great time with this person and this person is still messaging me and still trying to whatever play the game and be in the running with me I'm I'm obviously thinking about it just because of the persistence but I know myself better that like I've already made my decision so it doesn't matter what what he thinks of me like I don't need to read these these messages like he's already off my books but if I was not as confident with myself and my worth and what I believe I want in a relationship or just any company with people, I would entertain that. So out of the girls that you've met that kind of have this struggle of giving too much of themselves because maybe it's to please these guys or to be polite or whatever, like I don't think a lot of girls are paying attention to their own intuition if they don't like somebody. It's like, oh, this guy likes me. So so that's great, you know, and they, they just only think about that. And guys can fake enthusiasm as much as they can and just be like, oh, yeah, like I'm into you, da, 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 da. And then she'll be like, oh, shit, that means I need to commit to him and like be with him rather than like, hey, do I even like him back? Like, we don't take that time anymore. 
Oh my gosh. Yes, that is so true. I, I totally agree with that so much. There's like, as people become more like centered with themselves and more confident, they just like stick to their guns on things. When they're done with someone, they just cut the tie as soon as they see that red flag. I was reading somewhere, it was like talking about celebrities and how celebrities have so many options of people that they can meet and talk to um, that they feel like they don't have to make it work with people. I think is the way that it was phrased is that when people make mistakes with them, they know that they don't have to make it work. And so they'll just cut people off. And I think that that like comes with the sort of confidence boost that they got from being so secure and protected by their fame. You know, they, they have so many options that the second you cross a red flag with them, that they're just like, all right, that's it. On to the next person. And so I, I totally agree with that kind of that rationale of like people who are more centered with themselves or women who are more centered with themselves they won't put up with any kind of behavior that is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. I'm going to wrap up with a couple questions. What is mm -hmm. one way that you would help someone be more confident about detaching themselves as soon as they see a red flag? Because I know you make a lot of videos about red flags, but how would you advise people on exiting that situation? This is, this is just how I do it, to be honest. Like, but like how I usually handle it is um, I cut people off just like, cold turkey and so like I'll like just end the relationship just like that if it's like something where we've been talking for a little bit longer then I might like slowly make my exit where like I won't like make plans with them or I might come out and like have like a tougher conversation to have with that person but like if it's like really early on I just like end it just like that before either of us have had like that time to really 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 build those strong emotional links how would you cut it off like would you give a statement saying like you're crossing these boundaries explanation and then be like that's it goodbye or would you just not say anything <laughs> so it, I get, it depends on the person like how much respect I have for the person if they did something that I felt was like a huge red flag I wouldn't even give them the opportunity to explain themselves I would just like ghost them and just cut it off just like that if it was something that was a little more respectable or like you know something that I felt like was a red flag but wasn't something that I felt was dangerous then I would have that conversation with them and just say like hey I didn't like the way that this situation played out and that's where I would leave it <laughs> and sometimes like I won't even look at their response just so that I don't get dragged back into like if it does become an argument or it does become something that is um, intense I'll, I'll make my statement to them and I might like read what they have to say back I might say thank you for listening or hearing what I have to say or anything like that but if they continue to like write messages back to me or they continue to try to have the conversation I'll just end it there before either of us are able to get sucked into having this like debate or like argument yeah. And I think when you say something with finality, as in like, this is a statement, not a conversation, I think it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what their response is. But I think if you ghost somebody, we, we keep it open because that person doesn't know why you ghosted. They just think you ghosted because you're dating someone new or whatever story that they want to say versus the actual truth when you're like, hey, look, I didn't like it when you showed up late, that's it. I don't like that you have bad time management, full stop. You know what I mean? Because then they can't 
They can't mm-hmm. say anything else. Like, so what if you apologize? That doesn't matter. That's just, I just don't, I just don't like that. You have bad time management. We're done. Right. So there's a finality mm-hmm. there. Yeah. I, I like that too. I also feel like that helps them if, if they are the introspective type, <laughs> I feel like, recognize that and then the next whoever they go out with next it almost kind of prepares them for that next relationship where it's like okay this time I'm going to make sure that I show up on time because of the feedback that I got from the last person yeah exactly right and it's kind of a gift in its own way and also you're settled because you've said your piece and it doesn't matter what comes after that because otherwise you're holding it in you ghosted right like technically you can open that conversation again and be like, Hey, you know what? Like I was really upset about this thing. And then whatever, if you're in a moment of weakness, right. Where if you just say it and it's like done, you don't have to think about it again, but I don't know. So some true. people, <laughs> some people want to keep it in. Right. Cause it's, they're afraid of hurting someone else. I don't know. So I think that that is something that I kind of struggle with too, is like, sometimes if someone is a little too attached to you, it is hard to give them that final statement. Like if you can tell the person really does like you a lot, but they have all of these red flags and it's like, you know, you kind of know that you're like kind of breaking their heart in a sense. Like it may not be like a huge heartbreak since they're like not in a committed relationship yet, but it's still going to like damage them in some ways. This is a really like toxic tactic that I might use from time to time. (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes what I do is I will like kind of just, I will slowly dry out the conversation. I'll like uh, make my self more and more unappealing to them so that they end up being the one to ghost me and so it's like I'll like almost like turn the tables on them and like I'll become the one who's like a little more like I might take longer to respond or I might like write back messages that are hard to respond to things like that and what ends up happening is they eventually start to become unattracted to you and then they cut the tie and then on their end they're thinking they're the ones who ended things but really it was me who kind of turned the situation so that they would be the one to do it themselves (laughs) this is like one that I use from time to time if I really feel like I can't come forward to that person so those are like the ones where I'm in those low low ruts at the moments where I don't have the confidence to might say something that's like a tactic that I might use but for the most part most of the time I'm usually really pretty comfortable just telling them what I didn't like yeah because that sucks like you're already settled with the fact that you don't want to be with this person anymore and then you make yourself hating like hateable towards this person but the person receiving it on the other end like I've had this happen to me all the time and I know it's a tactic obviously and it's kind of like when at at which point am I supposed to get the hint I guess and for me it's kind of like when did it stop for you I don't get that answer. I just see the behavior change, Mm -hmm. right? And then now I question the whole relationship as in totality. And then now I leave with all these trust issues that could have been solved if I just got that honesty and that closure. So true. This is one of the reasons why I don't use this one as much, just because I know how that kind of like um, that kind of thinking that it can, it can cause someone to kind of spiral into this sort of like thinking rabbit hole. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask you, what is one, one of your biggest red flags? To big one of the biggest red flags. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think the biggest one for me is, hmm, there's so many, <laughs> there's so many that I look for, but I would say the biggest one for me is immaturity or like 
how they handle situations when they're handling conflict if that person chooses to become like combative or tries to attack the other person then to me that's like a red flag because if I ever upset them, instead of them handling the situation with maturity, they might try to attack me in some way. So like a good example of this would be like, if you're seeing someone arguing with a friend and they try to destroy that friend's image after the friendship is over, uh, they might go and tell all that person secrets or they might just do these things to make themselves feel like they won the conflict. You know, instead of them quietly leaving that friendship or, you know, continuing to be respectful and keeping that person's secrets out of the, you know, out of the public's eye. To me, like that, like is one of the biggest red flags, because what that means is that if something were to ever happen between me and that person, might try to do just anything and everything in their power to make sure that they feel like they won, which could be just really anything. Like if I had a child with this person, they might try to keep that from, or if if they learned a secret about me, they might go and tell the world or there's just like all kinds of situations. Like I think one of them was, I, I remember I ended a relationship with someone and she already had a different boyfriend. And I remember her telling me, she said, she took some pictures of me once where I went, like didn't have clothes on. And so she said, if you even try to get with someone else, I'm going to post these pictures for everyone to see. And then when I like, the way that I like kind of uh, saved the situation was I came back and I said, you know, I just restated to her just how absolutely crazy that is. That like you're in this new relationship and you're still trying to control me when you have a completely new person that you're with. And like, it was some kind of way where I was able to phrase it back to her that she like snapped out of this like angry rage that she was in. And then she messaged me and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, I deleted all of the pictures that I had of you. And then it was like, that was like sort of the closure moment of that relationship. So that's like a red flag to me is just how people handle those conflicts. Wow. That's amazing that you were able to get that person to, to change their ways. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I was, I was shocked. <laughs> even I didn't think that would work but it was just like she just like kind of like snapped out of it at one moment and then like maybe like a day later or something she like told me that she deleted everything and that she was sorry and I was like wow I was like that was actually a better response than I thought I was going to get from you yeah the more honest you are the the more people will surprise you and rise to the occasion you know what I mean it's only when you bring your standards down because you expect them to be at that low level and then obviously it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So mm-hmm. what is a green flag that doesn't look like a green flag? A green flag doesn't look like a green flag? Yeah. Hmm. One that doesn't look like a green flag. Let's see. There's, there's a few of them that I like. But one of them is like kind of like I mentioned earlier, like people that are quiet, but like they come across as like not confident, but they're just observant. So sometimes I feel like people that are reserved come across as not having a lot of confidence, but I think that there's a lot of power in being observant. And so someone that I feel like takes the time to analyze what's happening around them before they make certain decisions, I feel like that's a green flag, both as like in friendship, business, and in relationships. I think that person that takes the time to think before they act is like something that I really do enjoy. 
And so that type of, um, I, do, I do really respect that quality. So to me, that's one of those green flags that is hidden. But a lot of times people overlook it because they're looking for that assertive person that takes the lead right from the jump. Even like you mentioned, a lot of times those people have no idea what they're doing. They just are so used to being that person in the lead that they just take the role. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time that assertive person doesn't want the role and then they just purposefully suck at it and disappoint people so that they can get themselves out of the role because, you know, people just keep expecting it. I remember in, in gym class, there was this like one guy that was just the most athletic guy in the class. And this is when phys ed was still mandatory and everyone would pass the ball to him because they knew he would be the one to shoot. And he was kind of like, I'm just tired. Like you guys don't have to always pass it to me. Like you can try and shoot yourself, you know? And he was just like tired of it. So I can see why some assertive people might not know what to do with that role because they didn't ask for it just because they have a, a louder personality. Exactly. It's like weird. It's like so many people look to that person for, um, for like almost to lead the entire space. There's like this weird, there's like a psychological thing where it says um, the leader in the room isn't necessarily the person who is the leader, but the person who has, who everyone shifts to for the emotional, like the, it's like the emotional leader is the leader of the space. And I like never really thought about that until I started to see that in action. It's like in the classroom, it was never the teacher who had control of the classroom. It was always the kid who had, um, who was the emotional leader of the classroom. Whatever that kid did that day determined how the classroom's energy was going to be that day. If he was really loud and rambunctious, the energy in the classroom would be really loud. If that person was really quiet, everyone else's energy would kind of come down. And like you said, sometimes people don't, they might not even recognize that they are that person and that everyone is looking to them and they may not even want to be that person. You know, they, they, they might just have mm-hmm. qualities that everyone looks to. Yeah, that reminds me of when I was a kid in like preschool, they called my mom to come pick me up because I created a riot in kindergarten. Apparently, I don't know. I just decided that it wasn't time for nap time. And then it was still playtime and the whole riot. And they were like, okay, we need to get your mom in to like deal with you. <laughs> so yeah, I can see how like one person, you know, might not actually be the the leader, like not the teacher, but actually has more um more control of the the space and people in it. So true. <laughs> That's <Okay>. funny. <laughs> get all the kindergartners to finally stand up for themselves I don't want to go to sleep I want to have fun (laughs) that's such a me thing to do my last question is what topics or ideas do you want to invite another man to elaborate on in another episode on the show Hmm, a topic I would want to get I think that um something that I would want to see men elaborate on or not elaborate on but really kind of explore is this idea of feeling like they need to be the provider. I think that in in nature, men in the past, they men like they were considered to be the providers for so many years. But as society evolves and women are becoming more successful, you know, that they're able to take on these roles that that were denied to them for centuries. You know, it's like, do you still need to feel like you're better or more, have more power than the woman that you're dating. 
And I think that a lot of men feel emasculated if they're the woman they're dating makes more money than them, like if she's the breadwinner. But realistically, it's like, I feel that, that we have developed as a society to be where if whoever makes the most money, like that's okay. Like, you know, they can be the provider in that situation. And so I think that um, that's something that I want to like see more men explore is how they would handle being in a relationship with a woman that is very ambitious and successful and makes a lot of money, like how they would go about that situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's an interesting, that's an interesting one for sure. Cause yeah, there's so many, there's guys that are like, yeah, I'll, I don't care. I'll be a stay-at-home husband. And then there's guys that are like, oh no, there's no way. So yeah, it's a very divided space for sure. So true. <laughs> I, I would kill to be a stay-at-home husband. Right? That's <laughs> if, I, what I mean. <laughs> if I could marry a celebrity and never have to work again, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I, would, I would be the best. I really enjoyed this conversation in questioning how we enter the roles we play in society. How do we take on roles based on how people perceive our personality? Now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. And it's absolutely ridiculous that we put roles on people based on a personality trait. Make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to be on the show or know of someone with a unique perspective, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The 100 Masked Men.